What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about so many comic books that are coming out this week. Oh, my gosh. This is a big stack. I can't believe you did this to me, Pete, that I'm specifically upset at you for choosing so many comic books for me. That's how this works, right? Oh, is is that how this works? That's funny, because if it was up to me, I feel like... I would just get a handful of comics that I really wanted to talk about. Do you know what I was looking back, not to delay talking about all these comic books, but I was looking back through some of our old shows, and I had forgotten back in the day we used to do three comics. Three comics, you asshole. (laughs) Three. That was it. All right, let's get into the first of these 40-plus comics we're going to be talking about today. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 35 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Patrick Gleason. Now... You and I have not been the biggest fans of this particular run on Amazing Spider-Man. However, I thought it was important to talk about this one because they've been promising that this issue is going to kick off 24 issues of the big storyline in Amazing Spider-Man. I want to get into spoilers right now because the presumption was, given the cover has Spider-Man on a goblin glider, we know that Spider-Man has been infected with the sins of Norman Osborn. So presumably what was going to happen is Spider-Man was going to be the new Goblin for the next 24 issues. Instead, again, big spoiler here, by the end of the issue, he is cured. As usual for Peter Parker, feels very bummed about all the things that he did. Mary Jane is fine. Paul is fine. Craven has a new lease on life and has taken back the Sid Spear. And uh, Norman Osborn is the only one that seems to potentially be getting a little bit of his old goblin groove back. I think that's what they were talking about is the next 24 issues are Norman Osborn becoming the green goblin again. What was your impression of this, Pete? I know you didn't want to read this, but talk about it anyway. Okay. So first I have to start by saying I love Zeb Wells. I think he's an amazing writer. I will always show up for his work. I think he's an, he's been on the show. We've talked to him. He is awesome. God, I hate this comic, and I hate it so much. Art is oh, it's it's unbelievable. The art is absolutely fantastic. God damn, reading this comic was fucking just. It, excruciating and and like i was curled up like no no peter is yelling at mary jane the opposite direction of where i want this relationship to go it was nails on a chalkboard to me it was somebody chewing ice which just runs a shiver down my spine It was awful. It was the worst possible scenario for me to read this comic and see Peter Parker screaming at Mary Jane and then threatening to kill the guy that she likes, uh, like the same way uh, Gwen died. Just awful. Making me relive nightmares, open up wounds. I mean... Worst pot. If you would have said to me, "Hey, Pete, what would be the worst thing you would ha- uh, never want to see in a comic book?" I would have said Peter Parker yelling at Mary Jane, um, further driving them farther away. It was awful. It was. 
it was it's just well can i can i just say i did not generally like this comic book and i don't like this direction because i don't know really at all what this is saying about peter parker i don't know what this is saying about spider-man in a particular way but on the relationship front Mary Jane goes to bat pretty hard for Peter and they end at a place where she's cradling his head in her lap. I think we're headed back towards Mary Jane and Peter over the course of the next year or two, potentially. That certainly seems to be the way that things are headed. Paul is also such a non-presence here that at the point that Spider-Man is dangling him off the broken bridge, he's like, yeah, it's cool. Let me die. Nobody cares. Like he says some line there where he's like, it's fine. No big deal. And I was like, all right, great. Drop him. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go, baby. I agree with you on Patrick Gleason. In this issue in particular, I don't think his art has ever been better than this. The way that he draws the black suit Spider-Man is pretty terrifying. There's an action sequence where Mary Jane activates her jackpot powers, which I feel very iffy about anyway, but it's a really gorgeously drawn panel, like a really and iconic even, Mary Jane look there. Even the the small moments, like at the end, you know, mm-hmm. where you you just got the kind of Green Goblin sitting there and you have that small little kind of amazing moment. Just the the art that kind of captures the emotion on the face did such a did such an unbelievable job of doing that. It just really uh pulls you right in in those moments. Well, this is the thing that I think I want to get towards here is uh, just to add in one more thing that's going to power at least the next couple of months of storylines. There's going to be a gang war running through Spider-Man and a bunch of other titles, which is another thing I don't love, like the realism of like, hey, I'm Tombstone and I'm Hammerhead. We're like goofy guys. But it's like, no, we're murdering people. We're a gang and people are dying from guns. It's just uncomfortable in a superhero comic book to me. I know you feel differently about that as a Punisher fan, among other things. But there's another beautiful panel here with Patrick Gleason, where I think it's Hammerhead has killed a guy and you see him reflected in a pool of blood that I thought was a very cool perspective there. So it's frustrating that there is so much thought and craft going into this when story-wise, I just don't know what we're doing or why we're going in this direction. That's the thing that's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we're kind of getting a reset here a little bit of what's to kind of come for this character. Um, uh, But yeah, it just, um, you know, it's... Sorry, sorry, yeah. being comic book fans. Well, sometimes. why don't we talk about something that I think we both can agree on? Batman City of Madness, number one from DC Comics by Christian Ward. This is written and drawn by Christian Ward, and it is his black label take on Batman. Per the title, there's a lot of different stuff going on. We're getting a new iteration of Two Face in here that we've never seen before. There's some stuff going on with the Court of Owls. There's a reveal at the end that I don't necessarily want to spoil. But this is exactly what you want out of a Christian Ward created Batman comic. It's gorgeous to look at, insanely trippy, and makes big moves that make me wish it was in continuity. Oh wow, interesting! I, I yeah, the art is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, spoilers, but you get kind of a really cool reveal of like Cthulhu Batman. Um, just, just some creepy AF art in such kind of magical ways. I'm really worried about the kind of thing that's going on with Alfred. I'm very scared to to continue down that path because I don't think that's going to end well. But man. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, just I have a question for you. I don't know why this just struck me reading this particular comic. Do you feel like Alfred should cut it out with the comb over? I don't feel like he's fooling anybody. Hey, hey. All right. Listen, if, if that's what like Alfred wants to do, I'll support him. Wisps of hair there. It's fine. Shave your head, buddy. You're going to look great. Hey, man, if you want to hang on to the little hair you have, I'm not going to judge someone for. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, hey. No, no, no. It's fine. Yeah. He's dead anyway, so it's no big deal. Oh, you're an asshole. Buy a thread, number one, from Comixology. Lakey Glove. That's what you were thinking in your head, wasn't it, Pete? No, I was thinking I'm hanging on by a thread. Oh, okay. Written by Scott Snyder and Jack Snyder, his son. Art by hey! Valeria Favocia. This is about a world that has been covered with a weird darkness, not unlike Noctera, except it's not a total darkness. Instead, it's a sea of darkness. And the only thing that could stop it is diamonds. So a bunch of kids and other people are living in diamond towers. Of course, there's a fabled land they want to chase down. There's an evil villain who is coming after them. There's something special. There's you got a MacGuffin in here. So it's hitting all the points I think you expect from a book like this. But I really dug it anyway, even if it felt like a million different things that I've read before. I think they mashed it up in a really nice way where it felt fresh and fun. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I really agree. Yeah, you know, we got a cool post-apocalyptic world going on. Like, a, it starts off with, like, a small black hole that just kind of grows and kills things. Demons, monsters running shit. You know, but, uh, you know, you get this kind of traveler and this cool kind of reveal. So uh, I think it's a great kind of first issue that gets you excited for this world and what's to come. You know, we got a lot of familiar ideas, but it's done in a unique way. So... Uh, I'm excited for it. Also adorable writing a book with your son. I mean, that's kind of going to be a dream come true a little bit. So that's pretty awesome. I agree. This feels like a really great lost Saturday morning cartoon in certain ways, or maybe not a Saturday morning cartoon. It feels actually more like a modern Avatar, The Last Mm -hmm. Airbender um, type thing, something that you would see on Netflix or something like that. It's great. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah. Army of Darkness Forever, number one from Dynamite, written by Tony Fleeks, art by Justin Greenwood. If you haven't listened to our interview with Tony Fleeks from Baltimore Comic-Con, where we talked about this title, among other things, but this is a direct continuation of Army of Darkness, the movie. Pete, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, it sucks when you take the bit away from me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because uh, it's that's a my really Klaatu Brada Niktu or whatever it is. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I said all the words, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think that this. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of seen it. Uh, you know what I mean? If you've seen the movie, you've seen the, kind of like it. it kind of is recapping a bunch of stuff. So it's a great jumping on, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm not familiar with Army of Darkness. This does a great job of getting you up to speed. Um, But yeah, love the action, really nailed the voice. Um, And uh, yeah, this is just, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Army of Darkness, this is going to hit your sweet spot in all the right ways. So this is uh, this is glorious and I cannot wait for more. The fleeks is uh, really hitting it here. So he's on fleeks. Would you say? I was. I stopped myself short of doing that horrible dad joke, but uh, you you jumped right in. Uh, anytime, 
baby. I I agree with you. This did feel like a little bit of recap. Like you said, it's fun recap, so it kind of doesn't matter. There's also a great villain that's set up here um, that I am excited to read about in the second issue. So very fun start to this title. And, yeah. Glorious art. You know, it, mm-hmm. it feels like the thing that you know and love, but also kind of a fresh take on it. So it makes it feel new. So it's really cool. Let's go to another licensed property, Destiny Gate, number one, from Image Comics, written by Ryan Cady, art by Christian Debari. This is based on a video game that I legitimately have no experience with whatsoever, but we follow this guy who ends up on a train. He is attacked by various specters and ghosts and creatures, and ultimately it's because things have been done very poorly in his life and he needs to make other choices. I love the... what. It's just weird. You've never been on a train before? You know, you're talking like... Oh, is that what happens every time? I've been on the LIRR. Most of my choices are, why did I go on here? And why is this person vomiting on me? Is that my fault somehow? Yeah, it is. Because you've made bad decisions in your life. That's what's (laughs) left you there. Should have walked. Should have (laughs) walked. It's a nice day. You should have fucking walked. (laughs) I, I like the creature designs in here a lot. And I love the basic concept. I mean, it kind of made me want to search out, and I should have done this before the show, but it kind of made me want to search out what the game is about. If it is like a choose your own adventure with monsters, that's pretty cool. Uh, As is... I sort of wanted this story to wrap up in one issue. Like I huh. kind of, I kind of wanted it to be a tales for the crypty style thing instead of an okay. ongoing story about this guy that I don't really care about necessarily in the first how issue. How dare but you? How'd you feel about it, Pete? Yeah, I felt like you know, it kind of represented the everyman a little bit, and they kind of set up with this statement of like bad decisions are every person's downfall, right? And then when you're on a train, of course, you have to fight a bandage monster, uh, you know, to get off at the right stop. But I, I like this kind of setup. The art's unbelievable. The character designs are absolutely just fantastic, and it does a good job of kind of leaving you in this place of like, what do we do next? You know. And I think for a number one, that's a cool issue. It's a great idea that's well executed. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in the next issue, what choice he makes, what track he goes down. So, yeah, I think they did a great job of kind of getting you excited about this world to see what happens next. And I am intrigued enough to come back for more. But I don't know the, anything about the original kind of thing it was uh, based on. So, By the way, I would say in uh, real life, the bandage man on the train, his name is Josh, and he comes from Massapequa. So oh, of course. Oh, <laughs> Massapequa Josh. How did I not see that? <laughs> the Superior Spider-Man Returns, number one from Marvel, written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, art by Giuseppe Camincoli, Herberto Ramos, Mark Bagley, and Ryan Stegman. So, spoilers here again. This is another title, a second Spider-Man title this week. I was like, okay, here we go. We're turning Spider-Man into a villain again. Doc Ock is back. He's trying to get his memories of his time as Superior Spider-Man. Here we go. He's somehow going to end up in Peter Parker's body again. And again, by the end of the issue, that's not what happens at all. In fact, the Superior Spider-Man does not return by the end here, though we're promised that's going to happen in the upcoming Superior Spider-Man Serious, but at this point, fool me twice, man. You know, fool me twice. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think you've got a real all-star cast on this. you got Gage and Slot, and the art here is just absolutely uh, unbelievable. Anything Alberto Ramos does, 
I am always there. Even uh, you know Bagley Stagman, uh, just unbelievable art. It's 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 such a great. You should check it out just for the team. But yeah, you got a, a Dick Spider Man being a dick, and then uh, you know uh, it's fun if you like the Spider Man. You can tell uh, Slot and Gage are having a, a great time with this because they do a great job of leaning into this idea, and you get kind of fun Doc Ock moments here. So. I do think it's uh, uh, worth checking out. Well, I would say I, I think so, too. I actually do really like the Superior Spider-Man. I thought that was a great run that does what Amazing Spider-Man was not doing, which is said something about Peter Parker and challenged him in a way while giving us something fresh and new and different in terms of Doc Ock taking over his body while Peter Parker slowly fought his way back to consciousness and got his body back. I thought that was a great storyline. And I love the idea here of Doc Ock trying to piece together his memories. And in the meantime, we get these flashback stories we haven't seen from Superior Spider-Man. If that's what the series is, all joking aside, that's really smart. I love that, particularly because they can do that on an issue-by-issue basis. We also get a very new, interesting villain here uh, that has a deep tie to the Superior Spider-Man. And also... It's a fun world. There's a boxy robot who keeps offering people cakes and tea. That is fun. <laughs> There's a bunch of Spider-Man henchmen who are robot. like, what are we doing here? Why are we henchmen to Spider-Man? It's yeah. enjoyable. It's a good time. So, uh, again, all joking aside about the ending, I think, like you said, this is a really solid book that is very fun to pick up. You also don't need to know anything about Superior Spider-Man because, as usual with the Dan Slot title, gets you caught up right quick right in this issue. Next up, Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, number one from DC Comics, written by Robert Venditti, art by Riley Rosmo. Rather than picking up on The Sandman from Night Terrors, this is actually a classic tale of The Sandman as he investigates a weird mystery back in the day. I would say the draw, as usual here, is the art by Riley Rosmo, which is gorgeous and dreamlike. I mean, the Rosmo just kills it all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, too bad JT Sizz isn't here because he's a big fan of the Sandman. Um, but yeah, I think this is a crazy first ish, just really very uh, cool in a lot of the ways that it, kind of the the tone, the paneling, all the all the different kind of magical stuff that happens. Uh, I, I really. I I was transported, so it did such a great job. Um, But I did like the first half a little bit more. Uh, I felt like the more we got to kind of know him, the more douchey he's kind of revealed to be. So I'm very interested to see kind of what happens moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Good book. Let's move on to a very advanced one. This is the ministry. Don't spoil it. Uh, the Ministry of Compliance, number one. This is out November 15th from IDW. It's written by John Ridley with art by Stefano Raphael. And this book, I'm going to give you what I thought the pitch for this book was. This probably almost definitely wasn't the pitch for this book. But reading it, it feels like Greg Rucka's Lazarus meets the movie Equilibrium. Do you remember that movie with Christian Bale and Tay Diggs? Did you ever watch that? Oh, man. No? Great Tay movie. Diggs. I'll spoil it for you, but Tay Diggs, his uh, head gets split in half the wrong way, and it kind of like slides off. It's very cool. Um, But yeah, it's a bunch of like, so this is, 
God, I'm almost. Uh, I don't want to spoil the big twist here. That you rolls do, out. don't you dare! I don't want to, but it's set up. You're following this woman who is the lead of the Ministry of Compliance. She's on Earth. She's slaughtering tons and tons of people. Stop spoiling it. No, no, I think it's okay to talk about the first couple of pages. And then it slowly unravels why she is killing all these people, what the Ministry of Compliance is, how it ties into this other mysteries, ministries. There's a big twist in the middle of the book that I absolutely did not see coming that changes everything for the first half of the book. But I think like Lazarus, you have these very, this very complicated sci-fi world that is mostly boiled down to some cool ass action sequences throughout. And then if you want to dig into it, there's politics, there's things that are parallel to our world and how they operate at the same time. John Ridley, of course, is going to set things in the real world and talk about that. And the art by Stefano Raphael, the characters are stunning to look at, absolutely gorgeous throughout. And the fight scenes and everything that goes on is bloody and almost nauseating at points. This is a book to definitely look out for when it comes out in November. Oh man, I now I got nothing to say. You said all the things. Um yeah, I I just thought this was very cool, so fun. Love all the twists and turns, love the mystery of it all. Very sleek art. It's got a great kind of style to it. It's violent as hell. This is just great. More please. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is it also has a lot of tones. It's very funny at point, which is mm-hmm. another way that I'd uh, compare it very to Very impressive that they can pull it all that off, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's funny, it's dangerous, the twists are good, it's also a spy thing at the same time. Great book. Next up, another advanced one, Blood Commandment number one, out November 1st from Image Comics. This is by Sisman Kondransky, who is the creator of another book that we're going to be talking about a little later in the stack called Something Epic that I think we've been enjoying quite a bit. This is a follow-up one that, again, as you can tell from the title, Big and Bloody Another one with a big twist towards the end here, but mostly it is following a father and a son. They live in the woods together. The son is homeschooled. We don't exactly know why, but we find out exactly why by the end of this issue, and then there's a lot more to come. Given that we love something epic so much, how do you feel this held up to the high standard of that beat? Well, I, I think this is very cool. I love the kind of the dark panels, the tone of it, you know. Uh, fun reveal at the end, very, very kind of epic, uh, you know, not to use the other title a little bit, but, uh, a, you know, yes, please more. I really love what it's setting up and I can't wait for the next issue. I don't want to spoil anything. Um, I always get weirded out though, when somebody's being homeschooled because I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm worried about this kid's education. You know what I mean? Like they should really... You know, I, I understand why, you know, there's a lot of reasons to homeschool and I don't want to kind of get into it. But uh, I was like, you know, if this isn't, you know, luckily this is a comic and there's probably post-apocalyptic reasons for the homeschooling. You know, kids are probably <laughs> well, all zombies it's not, in school. it's not a post-apocalypse or anything like that, just yeah. to be clear about the twist here. Um, but I will say this does get into that thing that we were talking about, I think, last week with Image Comics a little bit. Or I guess I was chatting with Justin about where... You have an entire issue, and then at the end, it's like, here's the fantasy or sci-fi thing that's actually going on in this book. But this gets to it a couple of pages early. I do think the characterizations are good enough, and uh, frankly, that's one of the things that I really liked about something epic is when Sisman really dug into the characters here. The father is interesting. The son is interesting. The setting is interesting. I definitely want to know more, particularly after that end, and it feels like 
he could really blow it out big time in the second issue. So yeah. And uh, it, just to be clear, it's a horror book, if you're wondering, if you weren't clear from the title. Blood Command. Yeah. Let's move to another horror book that actually did come out this week, Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos, number one from oh. Marvel, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Carlos Magno. This takes place back in the day, at the beginning of Captain America's career in World War II, before the Howling Commandos trusted him. Per the title, I think you can see this coming. He gets changed into a werewolf. Will that mess up their relationship? Yeah. oh yeah, I mean, this is just a fun setup. Stephanie Phillips executing such a clean, cool idea. You know, if you have somebody called the Howling Commandos, what if the cap turned into a werewolf? Mm-hmm. Uh, just exciting. Um, uh, yeah, I think they do a great job of setting things up, kind of leave you right at the end where you want to be. And uh, I can't wait to the next issue to see what happens. Amazing art, uh, amazing action. Uh, yeah, you 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 think you see the title and you think that's exactly what it is. It delivers. <laughs> well, but I also like the focus on a younger cap at the beginning of his career when somebody doesn't trust him, when they think he's just like a circus freak act and that's all that's going on. It puts him in a very different position than we've seen Captain America in re- recently. And it gives him a little more emotion, a little more weight, a little more stakes in terms of his relationship and the circumstances. So I like that quite a bit. Superman Lost, number seven from DC Comics, written by Priest, art by Carlo Pagulian and Lee Weeks. Lots of stuff going down in this issue as Superman continues to fly through space trying to make his way home. He encounters an older version of himself, potentially from an alternate timeline where everything is currently horribly wrong. Our Superman suspects that that Superman is just trying to delay him keep him from getting home for various reasons and just time it out until he perfectly can actually get home because it's so precise. And then in the present where he actually did make it home, Lois is trying to figure out how to get Clark to reconnect with the real world. Fortunately, she goes to see Lex Luthor. A horrible idea. The worst thing that possibly could happen happens. We'll probably talk about that after spoilers in a second, but I want to get your bead on it. What did you think about this issue, Pete? Yeah, I think this is very interesting. I, um, you know, Superman hanging out with an older bummer version of himself and is stuck in a time loop. But Lex doing what he did was a little below the belt for me. I felt like I don't want to see Lex Luthor do this. I don't like where this is going. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I was kind of like, uh, why? Of all the things, but I don't well, know. let's let's talk about let's it. Let's have a, a little faith in it because you know mm-hmm. it's maybe there's something else going on, and I don't want to kind of judge you because everything before this has been really awesome, and I think that this issue just kind of takes. Yeah, uh, do, should we just say it? I don't know. Uh, yeah, sure. So she meets with Lex and is like, "How am I going to get Superman to reconnect?" And he says, "Oh, you think I didn't notice? Here, I know how to do it. I actually gave you pancreatic cancer." So that is the thing. It's going to connect him emotionally to you. He's going to get fired up coming after me again. So we'll get that old Superman back. That's what you wanted, right? And then we get this gutting page of her getting the diagnosis silently. It's very similar. I don't know if you watched the last season of Superman and Lois, but in their spoiler, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. So there's a little bit of a connection there. And then the last couple of pages are her coming home to try to tell Superman about this. And 
he actually is starting to reconnect, so she doesn't tell him. So I don't know. I'm going to throw out there, I kind of think she is going to die. And I think the title isn't just Superman lost in space, but Superman lost, like he lost to Lex Luthor, lost absolutely everything. And that's maybe where we're going to end. Like, does he end up being Superman at that point after he's lost Lois and everything in his world? I don't know. Very sad. I I just don't like it. I don't like it because you're a supervillain and your big move is to give uh, Lois Lane cancer. That's that's what you're going to do. And then... Superman's got to murder you horribly for me to feel a little bit better about this. And then nobody really wins there. And I I just, and that just sends him on just such a horrible path. I I don't, I don't want to explore this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like like I have real people in my life getting cancer, unfortunately. Like there's just, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Uh, So I, I, you know, I will say, I, I think, I agree with you. Obviously, we need to see how this turns out. There's three more issues in this title. But not to get too into the TV show, what I thought was really good and smart about the plot line of Lois being diagnosed with cancer there is that wasn't caused by a supervillain. It wasn't a virus. Yeah, that's virus different. Or, that's a exactly. different story. Yeah. Right. And giving with Superman it in a way something that's real. Right. Where Superman is getting something where he's like, I can't punch this. I can't use my uh, heat vision to destroy this. How do I deal with this? And the whole plot line over the course of the season, which is rather lovely, is like, how do instead do I support Lois as her husband instead of as Superman? And that really challenged him in an interesting way, challenged her in an interesting way. Here, we have to see how it turns out. It's a twist at the end of the book. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sold either, but it's, we'll see. I was like, just no. I was like, no, this is just such a uh, dumb thing that I I feel like is below Lex Luthor. You know what mm. I mean? And I just. Uh, I could see that. I think I think that's maybe a fair criticism. But again, we'll because see. Because now he. It's not that she got it, you know, and it's somebody gave it to her as a villain move. And then he's going to direct his anger there. And that's not going to turn out well because there's no right move to do there. You know, like torturing him for the rest of his life would be maybe. A, but I just it's. Uh, yeah. Superman I, should I dangle him off of the Brooklyn Bridge just to kind of see what happens. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Why don't we move on to something I know you liked Operation Sunshine, number one from Dark Horse Comics Written by Henry Zabrowski and Marcus Parks Art by David Rubin This takes place in a world where vampires are not only real But everybody has a vague familiarity with the fact that vampires are real I'm referring to vampires in particular that are called bugs Versus OVs, who are the original vampires the bugs can kind of move around. They're sort of regular people. One of them is looks like this little girl, but she's actually hundreds of years old. And the other one is a guy that made a blood pairing app, sort of like uh, Uber, but for blood is essentially what it is. And they end up getting pulled in together on this mission. Pete, talk about this book. What did you like about it? Well, first off, uh, shout out to Henry Zabrowski in the last podcast on the left crew uh, uh, coming up with this cool because this is very much in Henry's wheelhouse. He loves creepy kind of uh, uh, stories and all uh, all sorts of kind of uh, cryptic stuff like this. So this is right 
in their wheelhouse of, of, of storytelling and comedy, which I really like. This is really kind of a fucked up uh, idea, but I love the way it's executed. You know, it's very cool. I love this world. I love all the madness. The art is super tight bananas. It's just a kind of cool comic that reminds me of comics I loved as a kid, where mm-hmm. some of it was gross or kind of really weird and dark, and but it was very kind of intriguing and cool at the same time. And I feel like they did such a great job capturing that and kind of setting up something that is original and kind of all this uh, stuff. You know, we've seen vampires before. We've seen all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, I think this was uh, this was such a huge... Uh, fantastic number one. Yeah, it sort of has this grody seventies vibe to it yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not quite an R. Crub type thing. It's not right. exactly but, Mad Magazine, but it's in the yeah. same yeah, realm yeah. as both of those a things. Feel to it, yeah, exactly. So just from the art perspective, it's like that. But also, it's just packed with jokes in every single yeah. frame. But at the same time, there's some very real stakes. So I really enjoyed this as well, and I think they did. A really good job of building out the world. There's some really good mythology and world building going on here. So very fun. It's such a solid first issue of like showing us this kind of slice of life and getting you excited for more. Totally. Undiscovered Country, number 26 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule. Art by Giuseppe Camancoli and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. Big Big stuff going down in this issue as we finally flash the outside world where the United States has given everybody the cure for the sky virus. We're following a couple of people who do not benefit from that, some who do. And then meanwhile, back in America, they're like, what's going on? What happened here? Wait, I thought that was our whole mission. So it basically takes the entire premise of the book and throws it out of whack in one issue in a wild way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I mean, Scott Snyder and Charles Soule are uh, just veterans who are kind of playing with the form in such a cool way. This continues to be another banger-ish. They do such a great job of, like, stringing you along and then kind of pulling the rug out from under you and then giving you more crumbs to follow. Uh, I, I just love the art style. It, it, it's It's just so enjoyable the different kind of characters and faces and all sorts of stuff uh it's super type b nans for sure i just think though that like it's really impressive to kind of build up this huge epic story and then take such a crazy left turn where like everything that they've kind of accomplished and the people who've died along the way kind of are kind of like yeah oh well where you're just like, what? <laughs> so uh, really impressive to be able to kind of pull this off in a way that doesn't make you angry, like some of the characters in the comic. Um, but man, yeah, just really impressive, the the story and the, uh, the art coming together for this uh, awesome, awesome comic. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about City Boy number five from DC Comics, written by Greg Pak, art by Minkyu Young. This is... In this issue, City Boy is encountering Swamp Thing, finds out some truths about his mom, which is what he's been searching for all along. I love this book. I was a little disappointed to see that to be concluded at the end of this issue here, because this is such a great character, such an interesting power to connect with the cities of the DC universe. I love the art by Mickey Young throughout is 
just really emotional and just classic superhero art at the same time. And of course, Greg Pak knows how to channel these characters beautifully. Swamp Thing here, I think, is a phenomenal choice, taking City Boy outside of a city and showing him a different way. Also, just in terms of the mythology of the DC universe, underlying that City Boy's city powers are different from the various things that we've seen. I'm forgetting what it's called. Not the machines, but there's... The green? Well, there's the green, there's the red, there's the rot, and then we were yeah. introduced to like the evil machines recently in Swamp Thing as well. That's not what City Boy is. He's something different. So I thought that was kind of an important thing to throw out there. But this has been a great story. Really looking forward to the conclusion, and I hope there's more. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to being able to talk to Greg Pock again because he is uh, killing it as per usual. But yeah, cool covers. Love the team up of City Boy and Swamp Thing. I was a little upset about how mean City Boy was to Swamp Thing, where Swamp Thing's just trying to help, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like he was pushing him away. But, you know, when you're young, you, you have a hard time dealing with emotions. But, hey, I, I, I just I don't want City Boy to be a villain, and he is kind of dangerously close. We're not sure what side he's going to kind of uh, fall on, which I think Greg Pak is doing a good job of kind of playing with here. But overall, just great story, cool-ass art. More, please. Thank you. Venom number 26 from Marvel, written by Torin Kronbeck, art by Julius Ota. He, lots of stuff going down here. Dylan, uh, Eddie Brock's son, is now Venom. Black Widow also has a Venom costume. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you doing the Eminem song? Yeah. What's going on? Sorry. Sweet. Sorry. No, that, no, that's super sweet. It's a super sweet song. <laughs> the... They are ultimately teaming up to fight against this new enemy called No Name that is fighting against the symbiotes. So lots of complicated stuff. You're our goop expert here, Pete, both in terms of Gwyneth Paltrow's company and also in terms of Venom and Symbiotes. What do you think about this? I don't know about that first part. Anyways, Absolutely. this is some, this is You know about fun. as much, if not more, than I do. Oh, uh, my I God. I would venture. Uh, I don't know about that. All right. So this is some fun, over-the-top Venom shit here. I mean, I love the wit- Widow Venom we get. This is just... I'm having a great time in the sandbox here playing with all these toys. Um, yeah, but then we kind of have this kind of reveal that they're this kid they're going to try to turn into no name, which kind of is creepy and weird. But I'm into it. I'm I'm really kind of looking forward to what how they're moving the story forward. It's very exciting and very cool. And uh, yeah, that it has a lot of momentum and it's a great time to jump on board. And check it out. I will say, as much as I'm not really into the whole Venom thing, and also I'm definitely not into the whole big mythology, they're all in a hive and they can visit each other in the mines all the time. Each other yeah, it's, a, it's a bit much, but mm-hmm. that aside, the rest of the issue does feel like a nice clean start if you want to jump in on the title right now. So you definitely can hop on board and, I don't know, Black Widow with a Venom costume, that's pretty fun. I mean, I, it's I fun. Can't, I, can't, I can't hate on it it's too fun. much. Right? It's good stuff. Yeah. Smash number one, which is out October 18th in the Don't UK and digital, also November 29th in the US. This is from 2000 AD, written by Paul Grist, art by Anna Morozova. This is about a, well, it's a bunch of like super spy thieves who are all trying to one up each other in ludicrous ways. We were talking about how Ludo. Operation Sunshine has a little bit of the bad magazine. This also has a little bit of the bad magazine in it. It gets goofy. It gets very weird. What did you think about this book? Yeah, I love the art style. This There's some really cool looking characters in this. Fun twists. I love all the action. 
Uh, I, I love the look of this comic, you know, just got a really kind of unique look to it, which I really like, kind of jumps out at you, which I appreciate. Yeah, I'm excited for more of this. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it for the first couple of pages. We start in the past before we jump to the quote-unquote present. But yes, once it starts sm- snowballing out of control with more and more thieves trying to go after the same thing, it felt to me a little more like Pink Panther-esque. I don't know if you ever watched those movies, but just sort of the goofiness and ridiculousness and over the top of that, mixed with a little steampunk in terms of what's going on with some of the creations and the machines in here. So lots of stuff going on. But if that is your jam, all of those things that I just mentioned, stick with it, at least for the first half of the issue. Once it's rocking and rolling, it's uh, some do it rocking and rolling. There you go. I ran out there of you words. Go. Quest number three from Image Comics, written by Jonathan Luda and Crystal Wood, art by Jonathan Luda. Our questers are continuing to quest here. They meet up with their Tin Woodman. I just realized as of this issue, this is a whole Wizard of Oz thing that they're doing here is absolutely what's going on as they mix together their very little band. They get to a library that gives them a map, and there they find an interesting robot, I thought, that's made out of wood. Yeah. I still am not sold on this series, but I like it more every issue. You can't believe it, Pete. I can't believe you. Yeah, I, I think Luna's work should, uh, you know, Luna. say that you should uh, trust it. But yeah, I think this is an intense issue. I, I love the flashback of a useful information moment, um, and then the action that happens after. Is so cool. Uh, crazy looking monster at the end. Yeah, I can't wait for the next dish. I'm really having a great time with Quest. They're doing such a kind of good job of giving us a little bit of the time, a little bit of time, getting you excited for more. Uh, it's well paced. Uh, yeah, each issue I'm becoming more and more involved in the characters and the story. So, yes, please. Green Lantern, number four from DC Comics, written by Jeremy Adams and Peter J. Tomasi, art by Zermonico and David LaFuente. In the front story, Sinestro has approached Hal Jordan and is like, give me your ring. And Hal Jordan says, sure, and hands it to him. And then Sinestro is like, oh, man, that's not a Green Lantern ring. So we got this whole mystery going on with that. Also, Sinestro just wants to go home. Why he can't go home, we don't exactly know as of yet. And then Why the won't you go to your story, home? Are you go too home. good for your home? And then in the backup story, we're meeting the son of Sinestro, who is back on his homeworld of Korrigar. So there's a lot of stuff going on in both of these stories. I continue to really like this title a lot. I know you're anti-Green Lantern, Pete. How do you feel about this? Well, here's the thing, Zalbatron. Um, We got a team up of my two least favorite DC characters, Flash and Green Lantern. So this isn't exactly in my wheelhouse, uh, but I really love the backup and the art style of the backup. Uh, a hilarious moment when he kind of draws a mustache like some last draw mm-hmm. on his face. Uh, I laughed out loud at that. Um, yep. This is in my wheelhouse. I really enjoyed seeing uh, Green Lantern and Flash team up. There's some really good character work throughout this book, particularly after they easily dispatch a criminal and just hang out on a rooftop and talk together about their respective histories and get caught up. I thought that was a really nice moment. I did really like the backup a lot, particularly for the David Lufuente art. Peter David yeah. Tomasi 
writing kids. He did a great job with Super Sons. He does a really good job here as well. And David LaFonte has this very exaggerated style that works very nicely so for cool. an alien planet. So worth it for the backup alone. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy number seven from Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Kev Walker. Last issue, the Guardians of the Galaxy died. This issue, we find out they didn't exactly die, and we find out what Grootfall is all about, possibly, which is that Groot wasn't killing things. He was absorbing them in order to bring the life back to them. That includes the Guardians of the Galaxy. That includes all the planets. Hulkling and Wiccan discover that. But of course, trouble is coming their way anyway. I got to say, I was very down on this series for, I think, the first six issues. But now that the secret of Grootfall is finally out there, it feels like they're telling the story they wanted to tell. Love Hulkling and Wiccan. Their rapport is so good together. They yes. are the best couple, maybe, currently in Marvel Comics Ooh, at the very least. Hot take. And I'll tell you, it's not just the fact that they're gay, but they write them like Midnighter and Apollo in this issue is what it felt like in a very fun way. Um, so if you like that couple, I think you're going to like this couple as well, at least in this issue. But I love the moves that they're making here. And Kev Walker's art is phenomenal, particularly when it comes Great. to the nature backgrounds throughout. Really good stuff. Yeah, I love this. I'm having a great time. Uh, I also really like the explanation of Groovefall. I felt like in the last issue, I was still like, wait, what happened? So they did a great job of kind of spelling out a little bit more. We still don't have all the info. But uh, I really love the line, I'm recently sober and extremely ill-tempered. That was really fun. Uh, the art continues to be super tight bananas. I, I, Yeah, I just think that this is a very interesting story that's happening. And uh, kind of uh, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Because if you would have said to me, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to kill these people you love. I I'll bring them back, though. They might just be all wood. Uh, but you're still going to get them back. I'd be like, I'm not sure you're still How would you feel about that? If a giant tree could kill you and bring you back as wood? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think about it for a while, for sure. But, mm -hmm. um, you know. By that point, you're wood, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. From the world of minor threats, The Alternates, number two, from Dark Horse Comics, written by Patton Oswalt, Jordan Bloom, Tim Seeley, art hey. by Christopher Mitten and Tess Fowler. So we are following yet another, well, here, a hero team that is very, like, C or D tier hero mm -hmm. team. They went on a weird adventure during an epic crossover and came back horribly changed, are now all part of a therapy group, and now, once again, trying to be heroes, doing it in the worst way possible. This issue in particular felt exactly like Minor Threats to me in the best way. We got to see some of the Minor Threats characters and catch up with them, which I thought was really cool. And I think that's a really good sign of a burgeoning superhero world where you see characters from another series, from another title, and you, you get that little thrill of, ooh, that's them. I know them. Yeah. So I'm loving this. I love the focus on Crab Louie. Is that his name? Yeah. Pops Lobster Louie? It's Crab Louie, right? Yeah, I think it's Crab Louie, but it is. I, I wrote down in my notes he's lobster guy, and he kind of freaks me out a little bit mm -hmm. because it's like two lobsters on his face. But that's phenomenal. Just really great characterizations. I think he's like made of lobsters. Yeah, he might be. And just as usual, like great jokes, but also really digging into the psyche of these characters and making it all about that in a very smart and emotional way. 
Yeah, I mean, the the team on this is just phenomenal. You've got all-stars across the board in the art and the writing, so that really comes through in this comic. It's like the 1918 Yankees. Is that the correct reference? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow, look at you go. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think they're very interesting characters, so unique, have such a cool look to them, really love the designs, but the lobster guy does freak me out a little bit. Love the dialogue and all the stuff going on. I really can't wait for more art is bananas tight fish flies number two from image comics by jeff lemire we are following a criminal who got turned into a giant fish fly and the snotty nosed girl who is hanging out with him him anyway teaching him to jump there's a lot of mystery elements are going here as various people in the town start to figure out there's weird things going on maybe more than just the giant fish fly man and it continues to be very reminiscent to me of Iron Giant, except with an enormous bug man. There's a two-page splash in here that shows him jumping with the girl on her back that is stunning. Among the best pieces of art that Jeff Lemire has ever done, and that's certainly saying something. I really like this, even though it creeps me out, the amount of bugs that are in this book. And there's a backup where they almost have like a documentary-style thing. with one of the people in the town that I thought was really smart and interestingly done. This is, they're very similar anyway, but this feels like Jeff Lemire almost doing Matt Kent in a certain way. But I I like this book. What do you think, Pete? Well, this is really growing on me now. The first issue I was like, yo, Jeff Lemire is fucking weird, bro. (laughs) Uh, But now this is starting to make more sense and I can understand it a little bit. I'm still very creeped out, but it's also very sweet. And I'm getting the story now, so I'm having a great time. I feel like this really did a great job of clicking in for me. And like you said, the art is not only creepy, but also gorgeous, very moving. There's some real emotional moments here. I'm having a blast with this. I can't wait for the next ish. Danger Street, number 10 from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Jorge Furness. Last issue was what I thought, at least, the high watermark of the entire series, the one that I liked. I haven't been necessarily digging this. And this issue, we got back to the regular plot. Huge bummer for me. Oh, man. The helmet is back. I'm oh, loving it. I'm having it such a I great knew time. You were going to love it. Uh, just, uh, you know, you can go to visit your old friend in the hospital. Uh, yeah, I, you know, we get this little asshole kid with the sword. Uh, yeah, I just, just some crazy dark side shit kind of revealed spoilers, but love all the dragon stuff, like the kind of quotes that will pulled out of this. Very cool, unique. Um, yeah, I'm having a blast with this book. Tom King is killing Danger Street. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Very scared and excited to see where, what's going to happen next. I'm glad you are enjoying it. I like Jorge Fornes' art quite a bit. His it's character amazing. Jasons are fantastic. I wish I knew what was going on. Nah, stop worrying about it so much. <laughs> that's, that's all you ever worry about, Pete. Who are you? <laughs> Star Wars Dark Droids, number three from Marvel, written by Charles Soule, art by Luke Ross. There is a virus taking the Star Wars galaxy, or at least the droids, and infecting all of them, called the Scourge. It is coming after Darth Vader and using C-3PO's body to do that. I mean, I'd love to use C-3PO's body. Oh, Oh, did I make that weird? Yeah, you you sure did, you scavy bastard. Yeah, I... 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, all I was going to say is last bit of plot here is the Scourge is trying to take over Flesh. That's how it feels. It can extend itself, and it thinks Darth Vader is the perfect outlet to do that. Of course, it doesn't go uh, quite as planned. Uh, What were you going to say, Pete? Yeah, I I just – I was very kind of emotionally upset about when this – story started because you know using 3CPO for evil it just kind of hurts my childhood a little bit but um I just really kind of clicked in for me in the third issue like I it makes sense why they're going after Vader uh, but also you're kind of this is fun you're rooting for Darth Vader a little bit in this mm-hmm. issue which is uh, something I didn't think I'd be doing so it was great although you know in the original series at the end of it you're kind of uh, you know Return of the Jedi you're rooting for da- Vader at some points but uh, I, I just think that like having Vader in this kind of helpless kind of no arms no legs but he's still well, just Darth to be Vader. very specific about it it is this badass action sequence where Darth yeah. Vader is in his back to tank. So he doesn't have a suit on. He doesn't have arms. He doesn't have legs because they've been chopped off by Obi-Wan. And these bad droids break him out and are like, aha, we got you now. But it's Darth Vader. So he absolutely wrecks shop with them, destroys them. Spoilers, but yeah. I mean, yeah, it's exactly what you want out of a Darth Vader sequence like that and just proves that he doesn't need the armor. He doesn't need anything. He's Darth Vader, which I thought was great. I like the move at the end here in terms of where the Scourge is going next. The designs of the fleshed out droids that he's been experimenting on are very disturbing. And also the design of the Star Destroyer that's been scourged out I thought was very cool as well. This is a villain that I was a little iffy about because it feels very the Borg to me, but it's enough of a twist that it feels different. It's interesting. Uh, Yeah, and it's definitely ramping up the danger for the Star Wars universe in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. And also just really solidifying why Darth Vader is such an unbelievable villain. Yeah. House of Slaughter, number 18 for Boob Studios, written by Sam Johns, art by Letizia Kedidici. We are following a member of the House of Slaughter, a small boy who lost both of his arms in a monster attack, joined the House of Slaughter, and is now supposed to be undercover with this house full of orphans. Only for the first time, he feels like he's home again. He identifies it with his sister, who he lost. In this issue, we get his full backstory in terms of what happened to him in the monster attack. And the danger ramps up for him on multiple fronts. This continues to be one of my absolute favorite arcs of this series so far. I love this character. I love the backstory they set up. And of course, Letizia Katanishi's art is beautiful and disturbing at the same time. Yes, I, I'm having such a great time with this book. It's so awesome, uh, so interesting. The more we kind of learn about each of these characters in these different houses and the kind of different inner demons that they're battling with and kind of the kind of uh, different kind of like uh, tokens uh, that they kind of possess, these kind of demons and w- how they do it. It's just so unique and cool. And every issue is just, I, I eat it up because I want to learn so much more about this world. It's so cool and unique. Um, can't say enough about all the action and the art is just super tight. Beanance, just so awesome. Just worth checking it out for sure. Something epic, number six, from Image Comics by Sisman Kondrowski. This is the title we were talking about earlier, and here it's all coming down to a big fight between this guy who is an epic, a.k.a. he is very creative, the bad ideas and the good ideas. 
I love the art in here. I'm still iffy on the loss of uh, unsurety in terms of is this real, is this not real? Now we're straight up in superhero fight land. But this issue, the uh, imaginary creatures fight is so cool particularly when these meek creatures reveal the way that they fight the bad creatures, just some very fun sequences throughout here. Not to overuse this word, but this is some epic shit right here. It is worth it alone for the giant monsters splash splash pages that they have in this. So cool. Love all the action, uh, all the kind of characters battling. It just, oh man. Uh, the art is unbelievable. Love all the dark kind of reds and stuff going on in this. Art is just super type it is. There's no oh, other word for else, it. What else is there to say? I, I mean, I do want them to get that. I hope they get back to the theme. I hope they get to that to the murkiness. Oh, they by the will. End. <laughs> Rather than these big superhero fights. But again, the art is so gorgeous and the fights are so big. I mean, come on. It's it's super epic bananas. That's what I would say about it. <laughs> Batman and Robin, number two from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Simone DeMeo. The Batman, who is not crazy, is hanging out with his son, Robin. They is trying desperately to get him to go to school while Robin is trying to get him to just stay home and rest. Neither of them want to listen to each other. No, Will these father and son be able to work together? Stay tuned and find out. It's just, uh, did you feel a little too seen in this? Where you're like, man, this is like too close to home fighting with your kid to go to school. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, dad, you should take very care of your health. You know what I mean? You're, you're sick. You know, you need to rest. Yeah. Uh, uh, every day, just to answer your question, every day my son walks out, who is nine, walks out the door by himself and he's like, goodbye, father. I'm off to school. Hope you die today. <laughs> so that's our relationship. Uh, well, I, you know, I'm laughing a little too hard because it, it would be awesome if that was, or funny if that was true, but not really. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, cool covers. I'm really enjoying this. The fun back and forth between Damien and Batman is really worth it. They do such a great job of having these two kind of odd couple relationship find ways to work together. And it's it's really enjoyable. I didn't think it would be this much fun, but it is. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's not still not quite working for me. I really can't get into Simone DeMeo's art style here. It's very neon is the wrong word, but it feels I don't know. It feels like it was future state to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels very like computerized, very digital, and that's not quite working for me. I do really like the school sequences with Damien. I thought those were a lot of fun. Yeah, but. I don't know. It's still also the fact that it's not gelling with anything happening anywhere else in the bat line. It's fine. Not everything needs to work together in terms of continuity, but this feels almost as odds with what's happening in, say, Chip Zdarsky's Batman in a way that I just I can't jibe it in my mind. But I don't know. If you're enjoying it, I'm glad to hear that. I think the, the moment that you talked about where they both kind of bust each other. Mm-hmm. It's just such a great culmination of of the kind of the two of them that I think it makes it worth it for sure. Yeah, I like that relationship, and I'm willing to follow this book for that. Joshua Williamson obviously knows how to write things, so yeah, we'll see. The Avengers number six from Marvel, written by Jed McKay and Kalinda Vasquez, art by Ivan Fiorello and Alba Glez. The front story: We're getting the final fight 
between the Avengers and the Ashen Combine, and a new member joins the team by the end. In the backup story, we were meeting a new young girl who has some sort of powers and exploring that. What do you think about this one, Pete? Yeah, I mean, this is just some amazing battles. Love the Captain Marvel fight. Just great action. Cool story. Really solid art. Yeah, more please. Thank you. I like this best, this issue. I think I like the first issue, the getting the band together issue mm-hmm, a bit. Mm-hmm. But I've had a hard time focusing in on the Ashen Combine and who they are and who what their powers are and what's going on with them. There's been so much going on in this book. This issue where they beat them one by one gave me a better idea of who these characters are and what is going on with them. Spoilers here. The Ashen Combine was imprisoned in the Impossible City. They end up freeing the Impossible City. The Impossible City joins the Avengers. I love that move. I don't know how it'll pan out, but I I always love when comic book teams have a weird base that they're on. You know, like when X-Factor was on Apocalypse's ship and that was their base. This has a feeling of that for me. So I love the idea of Avengers being like, Sure, we fly around in the city that uh, flies over the earth. That's our version of the JLA Watchtower. Let's go. That's a weird idea that I'm super into. We'll see how it pads out. I hope the next arc isn't quite as complicated. Um, But I I trust this team. And the backup story I thought was very sweet, very emotional. Um, Really like the focus on this little girl and seeing some Avengers interact with her. Thought it was a good, good little story. Great. Great. Murder, Inc., Jagger Rose, number six from Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Michael Avon Oming. This is the final issue of this title. As Jagger Rose makes some big moves to consolidate the mafia, who already owns most of the world, and really embarrass the United States of America one final time. What would you think about this wrap-up here, Pete? Well, I just wish we were able to uh, talk to these guys about this project. Ever. We did. And, we oh, did. We interviewed we them on our live show, Pete. Oh, do you feel better now a, that you got to do that bit? Yes. Thank okay. you for letting Oof, me do that bit. Big man. weight just, off of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really think this is worth it for the art alone. Just some amaze balls panels in here. I also like the big kind of moment at the end that is quiet but powerful. Just really, really impressive what's happening here. But yeah, I just like this whole kind of meeting the mob families. It never goes well, but kind of a, a touching ending. They, This is an unbelievable team. They know what they're doing. Uh, you can trust them and have a great time here. Star Signs, number five from Image Comics, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Megan Levins. We're going to get a big fight between all of our Zodiac-powered characters in this issue. I continue to like how these different powers develop, how these characters develop. They're really taking their time to spool out the information about them and how this world works. But like I said about an earlier title, this also feels very like Netflix animation series, Avatar The Last Airbender, maybe a little less that than like Dragon Prince or something, although they're all kind of the same thing. Um, But uh, good stuff. What do you think, Pete? I don't know about that shot at the end. They're all kind of the same thing. I mean, Take it easy with that bullshit. I mean, but who, who even cares, you know? Oh, my God. You just made so many people angry. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love this battle issue. There's uh, some really great kind of fight sequences in here. Love the art style. Uh, I love how they took a small chronic break. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they really amped up the action. Badass team that's on this book. I'm having a great time. 
World's Finest, Teen Titans, number four from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade, art by Emanuela Lupicino. In this issue, a bunch of the Titans go back to a normal old house and hang out with each other, and we see what's going on there. Meanwhile, back at Titans headquarters, they're dealing with some stuff as well. I like the hangout vibe of this book. Mark Wade knows how to write these characters in a very earnest all ages way. Emanuela Lupicino's art is absolutely gorgeous throughout the book. Really clean line work, really bold colors from the colorist as well. I, I'm struggling a little bit about what this book is about and what the narrative push of it is as a title rather than, hey, here's some stuff about the Titans. But what do you think, Pete? Yeah, I think we kind of got a hangout-ish. Uh, this uh, First off, great cover. Fun story, kids being kids. You know, Aqualad not used to stairs. Hilarious. Good art. Uh, not really a lot going on in this ish, but yeah. you kind of it's a real slice of life uh, kind of thing. So it's kind of sweet and adorable. So if you're looking for something that's like, hey, you know, I just want to spend some time with these these teens. Yeah, I, I wish it would choose one of the two things because it had this interesting setup in the first issue of – some mystery villain building up. Yeah, but we're going to get there. No, and I know we're going to get there. We're going to get the new Terror Titans or whatever it is. And they've been slowly building that up. But at the same time, you do just have the Titans like hanging out and that's it. And I wish it was one of the two things. I wish it was either Titans hanging out with no overarching plot and we just knew it was done one issues or they were digging into the Terror Titans thing a little bit more. Um I don't know. It just, it just feels like it needs to make a choice there rather than casually throwing in the Terror Titans thing at the end of the issue. All right. Well, I'll just send this over to Mark Way. Give him your notes. Oh, please don't. Oh, no. Oh, no. Please don't do that. Oh, God. Fucking oh, so much trouble. It's okay. I feel like I could review things on our review show, Pete. All right. Blade number four from Mark. You opened up the show by being like, I love Zeb Wells, but I hope the Spider-Man title dies in a fiery explosion. <laughs> That's not what I said. Yeah, Quote, words direct quote. Blade number four for Marvel, written by Brian Hill, art by Valentina Pinti with Elena Casagrande. It's Blade and Doctor Strangers on a train is what's going oh on here. Oh, my God. As <laughs> Doctor Strange and Blade team up to fight their way through a train to a bunch of vampires that are in the front. Can I give a absolutely terrible note on this issue that you're absolutely going to hate? Because I thought the action was very fun. I really enjoy the concept. I couldn't help but wish the entire issue that they hadn't tried a little something different in terms of the layouts. Like, ah! I'm sorry, but I was trying to think, I couldn't get out of my head how they would have done the same thing in Nightwing, where it would have been laid out with like what the f- them fighting through this the train com- the entire completely time. Completely different comic by completely different company. You can't want them to make this like Nightwing, you fuck. Here's, no, all I'm saying is, what if instead of this, it was an, I was reading an issue of Nightwing. <laughs> no, you're, such, you're such a dick. Uh, uh, this is, I first off, such a badass ending. I loved it. Uh, I loved his line, hey, skinless, so cool. Love the Doctor Strange team up. Love all the vamp killing. Just great stuff. This is a badass comic. Art is not bananas tight. And, uh, I, yeah, I just, I, I love the violence and the coolness that is Blade. And I think they're doing such a great job of kind of channeling this. You know, because sometimes when you're kind of, like, frustrated and on a train, you wish you could just kind of slice your way through it. You know, it's a good stress reliever. Yeah. 
Like when you're on the LIRR, for example. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, would you say it's super tight blade nowadays? Yes, I would. That's exactly okay, what I would say. The Hunger in the Dusk, number three from IDW, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Chris Wildgoose, following two different storylines. One where there is a newly married orc couple that is journeying through the land, dealing with some dangers. Meanwhile, we're following a mixed race human orc. I think there's some elves maybe in there as well. And mm. we're finally getting to see the uh, enemy that they're fighting, which are these distended pale orc creatures um, I, I thought they were vampires, but I guess maybe they're not vampires. It's out during the day. I guess we'll see what happens. They're they're like a scotch. They're like <laughs> there's a scotch. Of they got attention. The old vampire in there. Of a vampy. What's really working for me in particular about this book is the character designs. I feel yes. Like Broken Stop taking here. all my things. No, go yes. ahead. Say it, Pete. Go. Yeah. I, first off, I love the kind of quest uh, that they're on and uh, these kind of orcs kind of uh, uh, working way through this uh, with all the action and adventure. The art is just so damn good and the character designs are so amazing. Uh, just a very cool looking, smooth, kind of like how it all. Uh, uh, well, it feels like one of those shitty animated shows on Netflix oh that nobody cares about. Stop like the really bad shitting one, the on one Netflix and shitting insane. on shows oh on Netflix. God, you so fucking bad. asshole. It's like I watch a ton of anime on Netflix <laughs> and I enjoy all I love of it. it. I love it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, my God. Well, we'll talk like about that. some of it. It does feel deep. like that a little bit, though, let's be honest. Oh, um, in a good way. Because this is like a comic, this. you asshole. This is I'm, not- like, I'm very curious to see how the plot goes here, because I'm invested in all of these characters, but I yes. want to see... I want to see it start crossing. I want to see it start coming it's together. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen, but I have no patience. Just three issues in, not, that's it. No patience. Give me, give me now. Speaking give of me. the third issue, the that's call number talk- three... Oh, okay. Well, this is a title that is gibby it now. The Cold Number 3 from Image Comics by Kelly Thompson. Art by Mattia DeLulis. We have been following a bunch of kids who are tracking down somebody's missing brother. They stumbled across a magical land. Last issue, we ended with a panda that grew to large size and was talking. And this issue, we find out a lot more about this land. Of course, it's very dangerous. All of our characters get weird powers by the end, and also we loop back to the absolutely batshit insane way that this title started off in the first couple of pages of the first issue. Oh my god, so many big moves going on every single issue here as we dig further into this wild world. This is 100% one of my favorite books on the stands right now, not just in terms of Kelly Thompson's plotting, but also the art is... Like, I don't know. I wish, yeah, it is epic. It feels almost 3D in a way. It feels like these characters are popping out yes. of the backgrounds after out at you. They're so well drawn. These teens are so well drawn. The creatures are stunning to look at. I love this book. Yeah, I mean, that also, uh, shout out to the color and the shading and the depth mm. that the, is done through this. But yeah, Kelly Thompson is just killing it as per usual. The art is just super tight nanners here. I mean, just unbelievable. That last panel reveal just kind of, oh, uh, it gets you, man. Uh, but yeah, a lot goes down in this ish. Uh, people getting powers, cool shit happening all over the place. You're having a great time, but you're right. This is moving at a quicker pace than, than the last book. 
which is very rewarding and cool. But you know, sometimes people take their time with stories. No, no time. Cherish no, no time. It. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta cherish it. We're moving like an LIRR train, and there's no turning <laughs> back, man. Oh boy, we're on a, a one way train to Massapequa. X-Men Red, number 16 from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, Raphael Dracon, and Carolina Munez. Art by Yikandre Cedar and Marcelo Acosta. This is following a civil war that is happening on Mars between various X-Men characters and friends against the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. I'll tell you what, this was very complicated when we started reading it. It's still very complicated, but... This issue is so much more direct in terms of Storm having a one-on-one fight or one-on-one yes. fight with the Four Horsemen. By far, my favorite issue of this that we've read so far. Um, you liked it too? Agreed. Yeah, I love all the action. I love the Shark Girl and Storm stuff. It was just it really hit in this issue. I felt like it really kind of clicked, and I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, maybe I can get on board." Uh, so I was happy to. Uh, be able to uh, jump on this LIR train have it ha- heading towards Josh. Yes. Uh, good stuff. Definitely pick that up. Star Trek Halloween number two from IDW, written by Christopher Sakura, art by Joe Eisma. I just want to give a shout out, first of all, to the fact that this seems to be coming out weekly, which I think is great. Like, make it a big October event. Very, very fun. But a creature called Red Jack has taken over the holodeck and is stretching it out through the deck of the next-gen Enterprise, has turned Data into a Frankenstein monster. And, of course, how do you fight a Frankenstein monster and Red Jack, who is basically Jack the Ripper? Of course, you turn the crew of the Enterprise into universal movie monsters and send them into the holodeck. Yep. This is an absolute (laughs) blast to read. I gave a shout out to Jill Eisman's art in the last episode talking about the first issue of this, which I absolutely loved here as well, particularly his designs for, uh, I want to say Jonathan Frakes, Riker, Troy, uh, it's Worf and Picard as movie monsters. I thought were absolutely delightful, the reveal of that. I love this. I love this book. I'm having such a fun time. It is the perfect amalgamation of Halloween and Star Trek. Yeah, this is a great mashup idea. Really well executed. Uh, monsters in Star Wars or Star Trek just kind of uh, a meeting in such a fun way. Uh, great execution, fun uh, art. I, I, yeah, it just was kind of, I was like, oh, this looks fun. And it was. So great job. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited for more. Let's move on to a collected trade volume, Serial, Volume 1 from Ahoy Comics, written by Mark Russell, art by Peter Schneeberg. This is correcting several issues of the series, I believe, that is all about monster serial monsters in classic Mark Russell style, treated very emotionally and very seriously while packing so many puns per page. Oh, my God. You are not even going to believe it. I will throw out there that I thought... Of the whole story, the first issue, which focuses on their riff on Count Chocula yep. doing a breakfast party and facing down with his his arch-rival, Duke Lorange, was perfect. Just a absolutely perfect mix of ridiculous serial jokes 
and yep. giving Count Chocula a real emotional backstory at the same time. And then the rest of it works in these monsters in very fun ways. We get to see Lucky Charms. We get to see the most insane Quaker Oats guy you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> life. Um, so I really love the last of the book. But that first bit, is, it, the book is worth picking up just for that first issue in the collection alone. Yeah, I mean, if you're not having fun in that first part, you should just walk away because uh, that's what it is. But yeah, I just really love the art style. It has this old school kind of feel to it, which really kind of brings it to life in such a cool way. It's such a fun kind of mix up of ideas and fun execution, really. just It's just such a blast on many levels. Uh, you get you get your money's worth for sure in this. It's just it's 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 awesome. Uh, I'd give a shout out to Peter Sneeberg's art in particular. I know you jumped on that, but in a similar way to how Steve Pugh perfectly knows how to create comedy art uh, in a lot of the DC books, he's worked with Mark Russell before as well. I think Peter Sneeberg does it the same way where he gives this real pathos to these monsters that are, is the sort of thing that you get in the universal monster movies. So he channels that really well, but doesn't forget that it should be funny at the same time. And that's a tough Line to walk, not just with the writing, but also with the art, but they both walk it perfectly. So great volume. Again, another perfect Halloween book to pick up right now from Ahoy Comics. Last but not least, Wolverine number 38 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. Wolverine is on a world tour in the middle of Fall of X. Here he is teaming up with, I was about to say Wolverine, which is possible given this book, but he teams up with Captain America to try to break into a auction where they are selling a bunch of stuff that was taken by Orcus or from Orcus um, that used to be on Krakoa. We get to see a ludicrous amount of Easter eggs thrown throughout X-Men history. But um, you love this issue and you haven't been loving Wolverine for a while. What was the difference maker here? Well, it just we just kind of had a good old fashioned team up. You know what I mean? Like it was just Cap and Wolverine talking about their history, not talking about recent bullshit, but just kind of like really focused more on the past of these two characters and how long they've known each other, which I really loved. And it's just them whooping ass together. It was just such a cool team up that also had Easter eggs throughout their history. I just had such a blast on this. It was such a simple, well-executed idea, and I was just so happy for it. And uh, yeah, the art was super tight bananas and just such a cool kind of thing to look through, but also to kind of look up different artifacts. It's very rewarding. Such a great book. I was so happy to be able to enjoy Wolverine again. This was a little bit of what I wanted from the last issue, which teamed him up for the Hulk, where there was a lot of fun stuff in it, but that was hitting so many different eras of Wolverine. It felt like whiplash while you're reading it. Here, having one very concrete adventure for Captain America and Wolverine teaming up with a very specific mission completely worked for me. Ended with a great Indiana Jones moment. Yeah. With, I was Sam Jackson with Nick Fury as well, which I thought <laughs> was very fun. And But like you're saying, the way that Benjamin Percy writes the rapport between Cap and Wolverine was so smart and delineates the differences between them. There is also a full-page splash in here by Juan Jose Rip, where they're on a boat where this auction is happening. Captain America repeatedly has been like, no killing, don't kill any people. And Wolverine's like, 
okay, I'm going to do my own thing now. And you get to see this cross-section of the ship as Captain America is fighting on the upper part and Wolverine is just clawing his way all the way to the bottom (laughs) to break a hole in the ship that is so cool. I want to frame that and put that on my wall. It's great. Yeah, it's great. It is. All right, and that is it for the stack. If you'd like to support this and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter slash X, comic book club live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book club. Or on the Long Island Railroad. Yeah, I'm vomiting all over you, probably. <laughs> oh, God. Every Tuesday night.